0: Welcome CART.ca listeners. I'm Bill Roberts, contributing editor at CART.ca and welcome to the new year 2023. The Canadian Radio, Television and Telecommunications Commission or CRTC has a vitally important mandate to deliver to all Canadians. Technology has fundamentally changed how we communicate, how we learn, how we create and how we consume culture. The person at the heart of leading this accelerating change since, I think it's September 2017? That's correct. Has been Ian Scott, Chairperson and Chief Executive Officer of the CRTC, and through his five-year term to January 4th, are you January 4th, 2023? That's correct. That's correct. Ian Scott is here with us today on cart.ca to chat about these dynamic last five years in a special end-of-term conversation, and thank you for doing that, Ian.
1: That's my pleasure, Bill.
0: Ian, you came to the CRTC with over 25 years of policy and regulatory experience in broadcasting and telecommunications in both the public and the private sectors. I mean, it's a long list, a partial list is Competition Bureau, Telesat, Tele-CCTA, Sprint Canada, which I think a lot of people forget. It's a pretty unique set of skills and valuable experience. Why didn't you apply for, you know, reapply for the CRTC chair position?
1: Oh, because my term is done. The sign on the wall says five years. In fact, I was extended, which to my knowledge is the first time a chair has ever been extended. And again, to my knowledge, no chairman of the CRTC has ever been reappointed. I think it's expected that at the end of a chair's term that the government will likely want uh, a new person to fulfill um, their mandate.
0: Sort of like a board of directors where there's a, a limited number of terms or what?
1: Yeah, there. I don't know about in the past if it was technically possible. I believe it always has been. It's over 50 years. And again, to my knowledge, no chair's ever been renewed. Okay, good to know.
0: I've heard you say a number of times that the CRTC's role is to regulate in the public interest, to ensure that Canadians have access to a world-class communication system. So as you supervised and directed that work for the last five years, what was the commission's biggest or most challenging or maybe even most time-consuming item on the broadcasting side of your ledger?
1: On the broadcasting side, the most challenging, I think, is to get ready for implementing Bill, what is Bill C-11, uh, assuming it gets passed into law by Parliament early this year. There is a tremendous amount of preparatory work that went into getting ready for that. Uh, We'll have to see its final form and so on, but the Commission is uh, ready to rock and roll once given jurisdiction new tools and flexibility to regulate the broadcasting sector in its new fulsome context.
0: Well, we'll get to that a little bit later, just maybe dig into a few more details. Sure. W- what about on the telecommunications side of the Commission's ledger?
1: I think the biggest thing has been the deployment of our broadband fund and the impact that it's had in communities. And I have to start by saying the Commission has a broadband fund that was came into if you will, theoretical (laughs) form, the structure was introduced, but it had to be implemented. And so early in my term, we set out to finalize the framework and then started issuing funding. I say, not us alone, we have a fund, but it's very important to recognize that the Government of Canada, in particular I said, has now directed uh, an extraordinary amount of funding towards addressing the digital divide as have provincial governments, territorial governments, even municipal governments. And they are working in unison, which is a great thing. But for our part, we've connected something in the range of 205 communities that didn't have service previously. About half of those are indigenous communities where the digital divide is most striking. Something like 33,000 households, 500 kilometer, almost 600 kilometers of roads. So that's been a big, big change. Is
0: there anything else you want to say about that? Because I, I think that's a point of pride.
1: I say I come with a glass half full. And the glass half full is we are out now. Over 91% of Canadians have access to the, the target amount, which is 50 megabit download speed. The glass half empty was previously only originally about 40% of rural communities and 20% of indigenous communities had access. That number is now over 50 for rural communities and approaching 30 for indigenous communities. So we're making real progress. That doesn't mean the work is done and affordability remains a challenge. But we've made tremendous progress in the last five years.
0: That sounds like a job really well done. As chair of the commission, you lead, but you're still one vote among nine total votes when it comes to final decisions. Is that right? That's correct. So is there is there one vote that comes to mind where perhaps you regret losing a vote or even one that you won where you might have uh, some element of buyer's remorse in hindsight?
1: never well first i have to say <laughs> never is a big word <laughs> never no first i have to say that the commission's deliberations and this you know applies to me now and in the future as well as all members our deliberations are private that's deliberative privilege that's uh, you don't ask a judge how they you know what conversations they had leading to their decisions but that said no my focus and my approach since my Appointment has always been to drive towards consensus decisions. In my term, we've put out easily over 500 decisions and orders. Almost all of those have been unanimous consensus decisions. The few that haven't been, sometimes there are recorded votes where people disagree, and that's fine. And on the, a rare occasion, there are dissents, as is the right of a member. If they disagree and want the public to know that they disagree and why, they're free to write a dissent, and I have no problems with that. But there have been very few instances over five years where that has happened.
0: What was your proudest or most rewarding decision at the CRTC at the commission?
1: Not one. It's a collection because we're doing good work for Canadian citizens all the time. You know, We regulate two really important sectors, and not everybody knows what the commission does, but everyone's impacted by it. Whether it's because you do or don't like your broadband service, you do or don't like what's on television, uh, you can't find Canadian programs, or you find too many. I don't, You know, people are never, not all the people are always happy all the time. But what we do is important, and it's the collectivity. I'll give you an example. I kind of think of it as a three-legged stool. Broadcasting's one, telecom's another. But the protection against unsolicited communications is a third. And that's one that's not understood very well. But something like 25% of all calls placed on the mobile network, you know, are not real calls. And many of those by parties attempting to engage in fraudulent activities. And we've done a lot of work over this period of time to begin to bring in tools and take measures to reduce that. It's always going to be a problem, but we've done great work in that area. So I don't pick one over another. They're all important.
0: When I think of leadership, and I've been there before, Ian, true leadership in any high-profile role inevitably, inevitably brings with it detractors. And in regulatory decisions, I mean, I worked at the Commission, there are virtually always winners and losers. So with, with your permission, I'm going to run through a few of those criticisms. One is, overall, the CRTC is responsible for the high rates Canadians pay for Internet services. Some of the critics saying we keep losing independent competitors to take o- by take over by huge incumbents. You know, what's your pushback on that?
1: Well, let's start with facts. First, we don't regulate ownership transactions other than ensuring that carry, Canadian carries are indeed owned and controlled by Canadian. It's the Competition Bureau that deals with concentration and in the marketplace and mergers and takeovers and the like. Second. Internet rates, retail internet rates, have never been subject to regulation in Canada. A notable exception is in the north, where there was insufficient...
0: Northwest Territories, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, the service areas of Northwest Tell, where the commission implemented rate regulation because there was insufficient competition and uncertainty that required regulation. Otherwise... Both wireless and internet rates, broadband rates, have never been subject to retail rigging. To the extent that market forces work, we allow them to work. Where they don't, and price competition in both wireless and in broadband, are areas that show that it's not sufficient and not working, we've introduced measures to bring about a reduction in rates.
0: The next criticism... I think it was pretty high-profile. One is that you shouldn't have had a drink with Mirko Bibic, Bell's CEO, and that it was a conflict of interest. And here I have to interject that personally, I think the remedy there should have been that you should have had more drinks with more media leaders if your if your liver could have stood up to it. What what's what do you say about that? It seems like I, harsh. I've
1: got nothing to say about it that hasn't already been said. To be quite candid, I have met with I've had an open door. Uh, both internally at the commission and externally throughout my time. I have met regularly with accessibility groups, consumer groups, with major stakeholders, minor stakeholders. I've traveled across the country. I've gone to small radio stations, community stations. I have met with everyone who wanted to meet with me and at all times have abided by the rules. And that was clearly agreed to and declared by the ethics commissioner. And I really, I have nothing else to add to that.
0: All right, let's put that behind it. Another critique that I've seen in the press is that this last CRTC CRTC term has done more for big telecom companies than it has for average Canadians. I think there was some writing or comments about predatory pricing by the big guys.
1: I disagree with the premise of the question, whether or not there have, you know, people are satisfied with pricing. To suggest that, one side has has done better than another side is simply ignoring over 500 decisions, uh, rules and orders that have been issued. I think if people ask, everyone will point out decisions they hate or they consider that they lost as well as won. Most of those comments are around a couple of proceedings around broadband wholesale rates and about wireless decision you know most commentators frankly have never read those decisions but they're repeating criticisms i I wish it were more informed criticism i'm not you know the commission is not perfect but it makes its decisions based on principles of administrative law and fairness and based on the record that it develops and nothing else
0: the next criticism I probably it's just a riff on the one we just talked about, is that the commission has neglected consumer and competition issues when it comes to wholesale internet and mobile services.
1: And again, I disagree with the yeah. premise. The fact of the matter, and, and but I will go back to my proverbial glass, half full and half empty. On the wireless side, you know, the commission some seven years ago looked at wireless and said no MVNOs and no fulsome analysis of market power. We then did a fulsome proceeding where we looked at whether or not there was market power, and we made a determination that in essentially all the markets there was either joint market power or even unilateral market power. So that was an extensive proceeding to reach that conclusion based in in you know a fulsome record,
0: evidence based,
1: evidence based. Having made that determination, the question then is, what do you do to offset? that market power. And the choices and the decision spells it out, obviously, in proper detail, were essentially regulate rates in a detailed way, like go back to the 1970s and 80s. We choose your phone or the models of phone and the rates and the rate plans, which I don't think anyone wants. Consumers are not interested in that. They're interested in What they have already, which is good quality service and good coverage, they're not happy with prices. And so we focused on wholesale rates. And we established, again, based on evidence, that the most effective way of reducing rates was to enhance the capacity of the regional competitors that were already having an impact in the market. Rates are declining and they'll continue to decline, but they the competition was coming from a set of competitors. And what we determined is they needed a MBNO, a virtual, a mobile virtual operators agreement um, that would expand their impact. Had we, again, based on evidence, done what some parties wanted, and and we considered all of these options to have, to mandate, and I, I, I emphasize the word mandate, simple MVNOs for anyone who wanted to enter the market, the evidence suggested that that would have a detrimental effect on the very competitors that were having an impact in the marketplace. And so based on that evidence, expert staff analysis, and the votes of all the commissioners, we decided that this was the best model, and it's being implemented, and it's having the desired impacts. So that's wireless. On the broadband side, not as good. There was a regime also established about seven years ago, before my arrival, and it hasn't worked the way the commission anticipated it would work. And yes, there was an issue about wholesale rates. The rates never came into force. There were interim rates established or temporary rates, for, for those that don't know what I mean when I say interim. There was a proceeding, and the result was appealed. It was appealed to the courts, it was appealed to cabinet, and it was appealed to us through something called a review and vary. I don't need to speak to either the courts or the cabinet process, that's their their processes. But for our part, when we receive an appeal, we have to look at the evidence again and determine whether an error was made. And we found an error. And at that point, there's only one choice and that is to correct the error. And so the rates were corrected, which was not beneficial to small wholesale based providers. And that's understood. And the task for the commission now is to make, a, is to remake or or work on the regime such that it does produce the desired results, which are to reduce broadband rates. And I will note, and this is my glass half empty, that broadband rates are creeping up, not down, mm. and that's a problem.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely, and the commission is seized of it and is working on it. And there are things to come out in the coming months that you know, that I can't speak to, but that will help us hopefully get back on the right path to ensure that those rates go down. And I would note, look, there are different. I was at a conference in the U.S. recently, and I listened to a large provider saying, oh, look, compare our rates to those for electricity, for water, for other utilities, and let's look at how many bits you got downloaded for that same amount of money. And they went, they declared success. And they said, we're wonderful. Well, I don't share that view. Uh, and I said so at that conference and say, no, we need to do better. We need to get broadband rates down and we need to continue to get wireless rates down. That's what we do. Where in if there's not sufficient competition in a marketplace, we enhance competition and we take measures to reduce rates to the benefit of consumers. And that's what we're trying to do. We always have, we have during my term, and we will in the future under my successor. There's only one more
0: sort of the, on the critique thing that I just- Only one more. Only one more on the- But a couple of the smaller independent internet providers have used language something something like this, that the commission has weakened telecom competition in Canada. And one of them in particular sites that uh, there's been Too much ability for the big three, so we're talking Rogers, TELUS, uh, Bell, uh, to sell their flanker brands at cheaper rates than independents. I mean, what do you say about that? Again, we make decisions based on the record of proceedings and parties,
1: if they believe their matters that are under our jurisdiction are problematic, they should file an application, develop a record and render a decision. I would note however we don't regulate the marketing practices of companies and yes a competitive response to entry by the large players was to introduce flanker brands and it has had it is made for tough going for new entrants just as the new entrants are trying to make a tough go for the incumbents From a consumer perspective, though, I look at that and go, um, so those are choices for consumers. Um, And I'm assuming that there's a lot of consumers that like those those brands. I, I don't disagree that it has been an effective competitive response by the big players. And that has reduced the impact, if you will, or competitive intensity but they're targeted at one part of the market. right? And they're all fighting for those new ads or those who are most likely to change. And there is vigorous competition, but obviously the big players can manage that vigorous competition better than a small new entrant. And that has been a challenge for those entrants.
0: You've mentioned MVNOs or mobile virtual network operators. And I think for most Canadians, that's what the heck does that mean? <laughs> so for members of the general public who are paying a bit of attention or reading newspapers or getting you know information about their media services, it looks like the commission, and you've spoken to this already, made a decision in 2019, I think flowing out of 2016, but 2019 on reduced wholesale rates for small internet providers, and then reversed it, as you say, based on the evidence in 2022, but I think that the impression out there is that that was done under pressure from those big three, from S- Bell, Rogers, and Telus. So- Sorry,
1: Bill, I think we're maybe confusing or conflating two different proceedings here. MVNOs relate to wireless. There was no previous decision that said yes to MVNOs. Okay. Um, MVNOs were a major part of our review of wireless. Okay. Where numerous parties said just let any, basically anybody should be able to come in and resell wireless. And and it needed to be, they wanted it to be mandated. And it's important to draw that distinction. Yes, There are, sadly, only a few, but there are some MVNOs in the marketplace. There are many in the United States, and that's what a lot of the evidence pointed to. None of them mandated. They are agreements between the large providers and smaller players. There are, probably lots of reasons, but there aren't very many in Canada. So the point was, would we mandate that? And as I said earlier, after almost a year and a half hearing with lots and lots of evidence from a lot of players, including international analysis, looking at all the pros and cons, the commission made a determination that a simple open anybody to having an MVNO would result in all likelihood, in a very short, intense decrease in prices and then a negative impact because the companies that would be most impacted were the regional competitors who were making a difference. If you look at the province of Quebec, for example, they have the lowest average wireless rates in the country. And the reason is because there's a very successful regional competitor there in the form of Videotron that has a known brand, that has a network, that has customer relations, and they have driven the prices down in Quebec. They have been the most successful. That's what we're trying to encourage, along with any other form of competition. MVNOs aren't prohibited, but this is not mandating them in an unlimited, open way. And that was a very clear determination based on the evidence that we saw. So we firmly believe that the framework that is in place Will continue to reduce rates and is the best framework thus far. Things change, and the Commission can and will look at it again as the market evolves. But based on the evidence of that proceeding over, you know, a good year and a half, that was the right analysis.
0: Well, let's look. Maybe, I've, maybe I've conflated this as well. It looks like to many people that I, you know, neighbors, friends, former broadcasters even, it looks like the commission is committed to some kind of infrastructure-based competition where you've got to build your own costly infrastructure to get a kind of MVNO status. At a time when much of the world, like like the U.S., you mentioned the U.S., the U.S. has over 150 MVNOs. And Mm -hmm. my understanding, and they don't have infrastructure requirements, they access existing infrastructure networks and then pass savings along to consumers, but it looks like with our current infrastructure-based approach, that's pretty difficult for you know smaller players. And I, I saw something in the Financial Post maybe a couple of months ago arguing that that, that results in double what it, uh, the Financial Post claim was the US $25 average monthly fee paid by consumers in 22 other developed countries. So you know, it seems on the surface anyway, and please unpack this if we've got it wrong or I've got it wrong, like an entrenched oligopoly, basically, Bell, Rogers, and us. And even this week, I think it was in cart.ca where I read that the commission is looking at Bell even pushing back on on the commission's collecting broadband fund monies, which you pointed out uh, was a big success and, and rightly so. What am I and others missing here?
1: Boy, there was a lot packed into to that question or questions. Let's start with the last point. Bell has recently uh, filed an application. We haven't established a process to deal with it yet. As As I understand it, I've not read the detailed application at this point. That'll be for others to focus on rather than me, but about the amount being collected and the amount being spent or sent out in any given year. So let's leave that aside. It's an open process. Bell's made an application. The commission will establish a process and develop a record and render a decision. Facilities-based competition is one form of competition. We have a long tradition in government broadly. The Competition Bureau generally points to it as the most meaningful and efficient form of competition we've had um, at the industry department a pretty consistent policy to try and have four wireless carriers in in all the major markets rather than just the three. That assumes you get a spectrum license yep. and are operating. Yep. Um, but the commission itself has always used resale or, you know, third whether it's third party internet access, whether when I was at Sprint and Callnet, we fought for and got unbundled local loops. We got the ability to resell long-distance services. You know, these are there's a whole bunch of services that have been done through either unbundling or resale dating back to 1990. And on the broadband side, we have around 12 years of, of, of a, a system of both wholesale access as well as encouraging people to build. So it is a balancing act. But mm. we have always supported mm. both forms, all forms of competition. I take issue with the premise, mm-hmm. but there obviously is a focus on facilities because it's the most meaningful form. And I've been challenged on that previously, saying that that means I didn't have an open mind. I do. We have both forms. Facilities-based competition is an important part, wholesale is an important part we'll use every tool available to try and enhance price competition but it is a balancing act because yeah. we also want people to build to areas where service is not there everyone wants broadband everyone wants fiber such as
0: Prince Edward County
1: uh, <laughs> and well somebody's got to build it and then we can have wholesale and re- you know re- resale of those services but we also need to get the stuff built so this is the balancing act and um, it will always be thus.
0: You know, maybe Ian, what people, the general public is, you know, thinking about is that the market seems to consumers to be overconcentrated. At least you see that in letters to the editor and opinion pieces and things like that. And the tone there is that larger players use our regulatory system to frustrate smaller companies. I think it was just a few months ago, September maybe, that Distributel was uh, bought or being acquired by by Bell. And this morning's Globe and Mail has a piece. Uh, the title, the headline goes, the "Last Remaining Large Wholesaler Tech Savvy Faces Tough Market." Conditions. So, it just there's a sense out there that there's over concentration. But what you're telling me is we're doing our best to
1: change that? Well, the we there is a big one because yeah. it's not just the CRTC. The Industry Canada regulates spectrum. The Competition Bureau, remember, yeah. uh, not the CRTC, deals with mergers. And so when we talk about industry mergers and acquisitions, and acquisitions yeah. so when we talk about those, um, that is the territory and legislative responsibility of the Commissioner Competition Bureau, right. not the CRTC. Do we have large, dominant carriers in this country? Yes. Do we have large, dominant broadcasters? Are they vertically integrated? Yes. Are they big compared to Netflix and Amazon and Apple? (laughs) And No. You know, depending on what market you want to look at and what product you're talking about, big and small are all relative concepts. What I think you're reflecting is... The difficulty that small competitors or newer competitors have competing with these large, entrenched companies with powerful brands. And I get it. I was one of those competitors. I know. I, I fought those battles. Uh, I saw the tactics that were used to delay or ex- extend proceedings. And it can be very frustrating. No one's without fault here. The proceedings that take a long time, you know, competitors also look for extensions. Competitors look to change the scope of proceedings. They seek further disclosure. I mean, everyone contributes to the complexity Mm -hmm. of those proceedings. But I go back to first principles. What does the commission do with all of that? Well, they run evidence-based proceedings. They're quasi-judicial. They ensure administrative law fairness, you know, procedural fairness to all parties, which means they all get an opportunity to file their evidence, to test their evidence, to ask for information. And it ain't perfect and it takes a long time, but I don't know of a better model to ensure a fair and reasonable outcome, you know, all done under the rule of law.
0: Let's change gears a bit. All right. All right. You've spoken a few times, and in my view, very well, uh, very well, uh, about the importance of Bill C-11, and you you alluded to it earlier in terms of the preparation stages of the Commission and the changes it proposes to modernise, C-11 proposes to modernise Canada's broadcasting legislation and to give the CRTC, as you referred to, adequate tools to successfully engage the digital environment. For, for our listeners, what new powers in C-11 does the commission need and why? Boy, can we do a series of podcasts? starting I mean,
1: starting maybe after
0: my term's over. <laughs> sure. There's, there's a, there's a You'll long, be a guest contributor. There,
1: there's a long road there. Look, fundamentally, I, and first, I, I know this isn't listeners to this aren't likely to go rushing to the CRTC's website, but there's a report on there called Harnessing Change. Uh, was issued, oh God, it's almost four years ago now, three and a half. And it was at the direction of the federal cabinet asking us very early in my mandate to report effectively on the future of Canadian broadcasting. And it's an interesting report because it talks, I think that was the first place where it was said rather like bluntly, platforms who are deriving significant revenue in the Canadian broadcasting system ought to be making a contribution to that system, which really... Is the basis of C eleven and, and C ten before it. What it says is, where broadcasters are active, you know, they're 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 doing broadcasting is defined in the Act. They ought to be subject to the same regulation as the traditional players in Canada. When I say same, I don't mean exactly the same rules or approaches. Those are the very things that the Commission has to look at. I think I I mentioned earlier, the CRTC has been regulating broadcasting for over 50 years Mm -hmm. and it's gone through a number of iterations and fundamental changes over that time. It has until recently said that regulating broadcasting that was delivered over the Internet, you know, it was a long time ago, a small part of the broadcasting system and didn't merit that same kind of supervision. Well, it isn't a small part of that system anymore. Right, It's almost supplanting it. Glass half empty, half full. The wonderful thing is Canadians have access to a plethora of content from all around the world, in multiple languages, from multiple places, including in Canada. And that's a great thing. The problem is the old regime where... Cable operators have to contribute 5% of their revenues to the Canada Media Fund. And Canadian broadcasters, traditional broadcasters, have to spend like 30% of their revenue on original Canadian content. None of these rules apply to the other players. And so we have an inequity. And so what's needed is a new regulatory regime, which is what the commission will be doing, assuming the law passes in, in the coming months, to establish one where we have an equitable arrangement. And and I, I use that term, you know, intentionally. It's not gonna be the same, or at least I don't anticipate it will be. You're not just gonna go, oh, what we do now, we'll just apply. Because their lines of business are different. You yeah. know, um, the traditional broadcasters produce original French language content. They produce quality news. Netflix doesn't do news and Netflix doesn't have channels. Amazon Prime is also a delivery service. There are lots of complexities. And by the way, Canadian platforms, Crave, 2TV, and, and others are also not subject to commission regulation at this point. So we need to come up with a new framework that takes into account the fundamental changes that have taken place in the marketplace make a fair and equitable regulatory system. And that's what I'm confident the commission will do. And the there's other month. stuff,
0: other good stuff in C11, I think. I mean, subject to you confirming it. Uh, you know, there's reference to discoverability, to diversity, to in, in, indigenous yeah. official languages, minority yeah. communities. I mean, those are all pretty They They are. Progressive I, things.
1: I tend, I mean, I think we've always done those things. Yeah. I tend to try and simplify when people say, what do you do in broadcasting? What is broadcast regulation? I I tend to try and describe it as making sure that Canadian stories are told. So if you want written, they're produced, they're distributed, and ultimately they can be found. And that language is discoverability. I mean, it's not telling Canadians what to watch, but it's helping Canadians find Canadian stories when they want to. And Canadian stories aren't just Hollywood stories. They include indigenous stories. Mm -hmm. They include our multi-ethnic and, you know, uh, and multi-racial culture, Mm -hmm. our melting pot. It includes original French language material. And the system needs to continue to ensure that those things happen. Right. And that's what C-11 is meant to do. And ultimately, it's the will of parliament what's in it at the end of the day and what the commission will be asked to do, which is to make sure that system of a regulatory framework produces those outcomes. Okay. That's what we're after.
0: Okay, so that's your glass half full part. I'm gonna to go to your glass half empty part. Uh, those are all good and welcome things in C-11, but I think I heard you reference maybe before the Senate that there were some aspects of C-11 that the commission might find problematic. What, what was that about? What are those? Well, we're simply pointing
1: out, look, uh, I want to be very, very clear. Legislation is a responsibility of the government. Right. We are arm's length from government. Yep. We have no role other than what we've done, which is publicly contribute. And I've appeared before the House and the Senate on yep. more than one occasion to share our views. Uh, but they're our views as an arm's length, independent regulator. At the Senate, I, I pointed out some things that we would prefer to see amended. I think... Generally speaking, we can talk about it as unintended consequences. There's a provision in there, for example, that says we should all of our decisions would be reviewed after seven years.
0: That'd be a few thousand of them.
1: We average over 500 (laughs) decisions a year. Does that make sense? And would it make sense? It's not what I'm sure it's not what the government intended. What they want to be sure is that if asked, the commission can review and justify certain decisions. And that can be done a number of ways. We think there are better ways than the way it's worded in the legislation. I'll give you another example. The legislation sets out that platforms will negotiate in good faith with programmers. On the linear side, on traditional television, we have the ability to mediate and and ultimately engage in arbitration to impose an agreement if they can't come to an agreement. The legislation does not give that authority to the commission with respect to platforms, uh-huh. even though it's expected that the outcome they'll negotiate in good faith and so on. Yeah. So I think these are questions of unintended consequences and, and I think there was another
0: one about consultation, rigid consultation. Was that something that you referred I, to?
1: I any time the government sets out sort of requirements, not the the intentions are valid or right. important or laudable but they may not understand the mechanics. So saying that one we should do something in a certain time frame, well, that impacts the Commission's work, and so we're not going to do something else in that time frame. Those things should be left to the arm's length regulator.
0: And and what about Bill C-18, uh, respecting online communications platforms and news content available to Canadians? Any comments, thoughts on that? Well, through
1: Early days, although it is progressing um, through the parliamentary process. Again, I I have appeared on behalf of the commission um, before parliament. I think it's a new area, but it's not a new area. So the commission is being asked to oversee and administer a process. Quite a lot. And that makes sense if you think about, well, who else could or should it be. We do already regulate news, broadcast news, which is a significant part of the news industry. Obviously we don't regulate print media and there'll be much to learn for the commission to learn about how that marketplace works. We are familiar with the platforms and we'll be more familiar with them in the coming months and years. And we do do mediation and arbitration with respect to programmers and distributors, where you have an unequal power, if you will, or negotiating uh, strength, all of which are relevant to overseeing a regime about remuneration for news. So I think the commission's the right choice. We're doing our first preliminary work, getting ready for legislation. The government has given us some interim funding and we're setting up The plumbing, so to speak, within the commission. But at the end of the day, we need to see what parliament passes, if anything, into law. And then then we'll act on it as we have when given other responsibilities in the past. I
0: I, I might be inaccurate, but C-18 sounds like it's a big thing for the commission. It's discretion to exempt, a code of conduct, imposing monetary penalties maintaining a list of digital news intermediaries. It's a lot of stuff.
1: There is a lot of work in that machine, yes.
0: Ian, you uh, said earlier that you made yourself available to anyone who wanted to come and express an opinion or had a, you know, stakeholders, which is really laudable uh, and good for you for having done that. But I, I have to say, I, I, I never got the impression of you being an actual media hound. <laughs> I mean, you've done all these consultations, you know, one-on-ones, etc., meeting with folks. Uh, over your five years as CRTC chair, but unlike many, and you know, I worked at the commission under two or three chairs, and, and you didn't seek out public attention for yourself personally. You didn't chase interviews. Indeed, you know, I think you probably have done fewer interviews like this than, than many, if not all, of your predecessors. So why is that?
1: That's a great question. It's not
0: a strategy.
1: It's if you think back to when I was appointed and I was asked what was my vision. I answered well it's not the right question because it shouldn't and isn't about the chairman it's about the institution for me it was well we'll do our job we'll do it as best as we can again based on the record you know ensuring fairness for all participants and then in my view the decisions then speak for themselves so I didn't think it was Either necessary or desirable to go out and say, we issued an important decision and this is what it says and this is what it means. And we did party X, we think party X did a great job and party Y didn't do so well. I, that's not the record speaks for itself and the decisions speak for themselves. So, no, I didn't do press conferences and the like. When we have issues and there's media interest, I've always been willing Mm -hmm. to do media interviews to answer questions. I've never shied away from that. But you're quite right in saying I haven't gone to seek it because it's not about me. It's not about the chair. It's about the institution. And I truly believe that. I think it's a wonderful, important institution in Canada that does good and important work. And the chair is accountable and responsible for what goes on at the commission I've never seen the need or the reason to have it focused on me as an individual.
0: Just a little follow-up on and It was, I read a piece, I forget where I read it, but it was the person chatting with you talked about legacy and you seem to have indicated that you're kind of downplay leaving a CRTC commission regulatory legacy. Why is that? Is that same somewhat reason. connected?
1: Yeah. Same, same reason. If, You know, if asked what is my legacy, I'd say I don't really have one. I've done the best job that I could as a chair. And the commission, most importantly, has done a very good job in difficult times. Remember, half of my term has been through COVID. And the commission fulfilled its mandate well and responsibly and turned on a dime to, you know, to work at home and continue to you know, render its decisions, develop all those proceedings and records and so on. And they deserve credit for that. And we've done really important things over those five years. We have done things on unsolicited communications. We got the 988 suicide prevention framework in place. We've already talked about broadband. We've made serious and meaningful efforts to towards reconciliation with Indigenous peoples through changes to some of our processes. We're developing an Indigenous broadcast policy. We've changed some of the approaches that we traditionally take in a telecom hearing for the telecom in the North proceeding, reflecting again an importance of consulting with Indigenous peoples. We have prepared well for C-11. We've continued to do our work in that area so i just look across the board we're, we're gathering better data and making it available to the public open data we're reporting more quickly we're looking forward and not just reporting on metrics from a year ago or 18 months ago so the commission has made lots of important decisions it's not about me it's right.
0: about the commission on a personal level i mean you've had some big jobs before being uh, the chair of the commission I'm guessing that this was or at least could have been the most stressful job you've had so far anyway. I mean, you had to deal with some pretty partisan calls for you know, things like your resignation, of all things. Uh, lots of grumbling about something you've already talked about, the MVNO and wholesale rate stuff. To be personal, how did, how did you cope with all that stress and how did it impact you?
1: Well, the short answer is, you know, take the high road. I don't respond to personal attacks. I'll just consider where they come from. I don't run the commission. I'm not responsible for the decisions, as we've already discussed. It's on the developer record. We have expert staff giving us advice and nine members deciding. But I am I am the chair and the CEO, and I take full responsibility for what we do and, account, and I'm accountable to Parliament. Personal attacks don't belong, but they're there, and you simply take the high road. What do I do to deal with stress? I try and as best as possible, leave it at the office. I've traditionally put in a, a, a pretty honest day's work. I think even during COVID, I still came to the office because I sort of, a long lifetime of habits. So I'd typically be in the office about 8.30 and I leave at about 6.30 and I've done that throughout my term. So I try and get everything I can that needs to get done, done while I'm in the office and then I go home and try and leave it behind. And that goes for staff, too. I generally not try to not send out emails to staff in the evenings uh, and so on so that they, too, can have a work-life balance and manage the pressures um, that go with some of these big files and, and important work that the commission does. I guess the only other thing I would add is that I engage in some of my hobbies. Um, I enjoy photography. I do a lot of woodworking. You build things and usually people don't tell me I did it wrong when I build things. So carpentry and, and woodworking is uh, at the cottage in particular is one of the places I guess I take refuge. Stop using your brain and use your hands. And you just feel like you've, you've actually produced something and that's that's you know useful, constructive. In a short period of time, you can see the tangible results. Uh, very quickly. So anyway, I, I, ha- I have some habits. And obviously, I have a, f- a family that is the most important thing in my life. And they are uh, also very part of managing the role.
0: All right, Ian, we're getting close to the end of our cart.ca conversation. I have to ask, because it's, I think, expected of both of us. What's next for you? Uh, do you have a plan? Will you be taking like a big time off? Are you re- retiring from this scrimmage that we spent the last hour talking about? Or I had a Métis godmother who used to tell me that, you know, life is like a book. So is there another couple of chapters in your book coming up, Ian?
1: I'm sure there are. Uh, I don't know what they are yet. We, you're, you're, I'm sure you're well aware and listeners may not be. But the government of Canada has post-employment restrictions quite properly. They are in place. Some of them are for a year lobbying restrictions for five years. So we have a set of statutes that deal with post-employment environment that, of course, I will fully respect. Uh, It makes it very difficult to even have conversations before your term's over. So I have no immediate plans, but I'm interested in doing some teaching. I'm interested in doing some writing. I'm not retiring, so I don't know what it will be, but there are chapters to come.
0: You're going to keep on keeping on indeed <laughs> okay so minister rodriguez has appointed vicky Etrides as the next chair and ceo of the crtc of the commission and miss Ettrides has said Ms. etridis has said that she wants to make a tangible difference for canadians that she has a passion for delivering lower prices and more choices for consumers and all that seems to imply she's focusing on lower prices that we've talked about for telecom services more choice more innovation I recall that American presidents, I remember, I think I first learned about this from Barack Obama stepping uh, away from the presidency, that American presidents leave a personal letter in the Oval Office desk for their successors, their incoming Mm -hmm. successors, president. If you were to leave a similar note for Ms. Etrides, what what might it say or perhaps even touch upon?
1: Well, I think it would be a short note. Ms. Etrides is, I'm sure and confident, will be a very capable leader of the COTC and she'll figure it out for herself. But I think my short note would be advice, you know, that I've learned more from my mother than anywhere else, leave the place better than you found it. I hope I've done that and I would expect no less from her as the next leader of this organization.
0: This is the most important question in some ways. It's certainly the last one for you. What have I forgotten to ask you about? What have I left out of this important end-of-term conversation? Ian, what do you really absolutely want uh, cart.ca listeners to take away from this podcast today?
1: I don't know that you've missed anything, but I'd like to go back to talk about the institution again. You know, we we talked about why is it not about me because it's about the CRTC as an institution. I, I think Canadians don't, not enough Canadians know enough about the CRT. As you said, it has its detractors, and they typically revolve around a few key decisions and people who are unhappy or sometimes ecstatic about them, and, and that gets into the news cycles and gets repeated and so on. But as I said, the Commission puts out over 100 decisions a year. Most of them are unseen and unreported on. But they're all important because they contribute to what you hear on the news and what you hear on the radio and the development of Canadian artists and the development of Canadian stories and the health of the industry and getting broadband delivered you know, to rural and remote areas or improved. You know, it goes on and on and on. I, I guess I wish there was more awareness about the commission and not just in, in the context of a few proceedings. Because there's almost 600 staff, or soon will be, that are dedicated professionals. And they make a huge difference in the lives of Canadians every day. And I don't think the Commission as an institution is as well known and well understood as it should be. We're among the top agencies in the government annual surveys. We place, I think last result was sixth you know, among some 200 departments and agencies, people love what they do and they know it's important. And I just wish Canadians more broadly were equally well informed about the good things that the CRTC does in their public.
0: Well, Ian, I think this conversation, this podcast will contribute to raising that. Thank you. Ian Scott, thank you so very much for your time in our enlightening conversation today. I appreciate you unpacking some of my conflations. That was very good for all of us. And thank you, really thank you for your incredible dedication and public service as chairperson and CEO of the CRTC, the commission over the past five years. I wish you and yours, Ian, all the very best in the new year and far beyond that. I'm Bill Roberts, contributing editor at cart.ca and wishing all our listeners A healthy and prosperous 2023 cheers.